Can't we all just get along? Why do Christians have to be so judgmental? Wouldn't it be better if we worked towards reconciliation in society? Fair questions to be sure, but do they mesh with scripture and reality for that matter? You're listening to episode 17 of Footnotable. Orrin and I believe the issue of reconciliation is key in our society, but also in our understanding of God, and that makes it footnotable. This is David Rines, and part three of the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity begins now. So, Orrin, how was your commute today? <laughs> um, pretty good. Wonderful. Wow, that uh, <laughs> smacks of a little bit of insincerity, but okay, if you insist. I'm keeping a happy face on today. A we're, happy we're, face. We're doing good. We're doing okay. All right, we're well, that's good. good. It's good to put a happy face on it. For those of you that are listening as we're recording this today, uh, we've had a just a rotten weather day in Baton Rouge, yep. a lot of uh, just localized street flooding, mm-hmm. and uh, some of us have spent an extra long period of time <laughs> sitting on the interstate with our children. Um, watching people uh, do really ridiculous things in an effort to avoid the situation, <laughs> only only to get in a worse predicament than what they were already in. Pressure pressure in traffic really brings out something out of people, sometimes the best, and sometimes complete idiocy. And you see a lot of that sometimes. Well, it's a are. profound statement because, like, pressure, crisis, yeah. it always reveals what's really yeah. there. What's already in there, yeah. So, I'll like, say pressure, that, pressure, crisis, like in your marriage, mm-hmm. will reveal where your marriage yeah. really is. Yeah. How strong, how secure is this? Your relationship with your kids, mm-hmm. uh, your relationship with God, all of that. Yep. It applies to traffic, too. Always. So yes. traffic reveals who you really are, mm-hmm. and so it's a uh, it's kind of a barometer of a, a sorts yeah. as to just uh, you know how you handle tough situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote an article this morning that'll be uh, for tomorrow for the church family, um, and uh, it's about emotions, and uh, you know emotions are meant to be a gauge, not a guide. Mm-hmm. And when you're in traffic and people are doing stupid things and you're stuck and you can't move, it can really did you write it while you were in traffic? No, I didn't. <laughs> taking advantage of the, I was, I was thinking the about gridlock. You. I was thinking about you. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, emotions are an interesting thing. And they get a little bit into our argument yep. today. Mm-hmm. I'm not an argument or a discussion. We're not arguing with anybody. No. But we are talking, again, part three of these Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, which today has all to do with reconciliation versus judgment mm-hmm. or maybe not just judgment but like judgmental attitudes yes. would be a better way to yes. put it yes. and so that really gets into a bit of an emotional debate mm-hmm. because the idea being that judgmental attitudes where you're just always harping on people's wrong behavior mm-hmm. is damaging yep. and therefore not as valued as per se you know just helping out your fellow brother and Mm -hmm. sister in society Mm -hmm. because after all they've got issues they're trying to deal with Mm -hmm. Uh, they've got some brokenness in their own life which is interesting that gully would point that out Mm -hmm. for this argument Mm -hmm. but shy away from making that distinction in previous arguments Mm -hmm. but that exists and so rather than just sort of harping on negative wrong behavior Mm -hmm. let's just work on reconciling ourselves to each other Let's all just kind of get along. Let's find the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Let's not find the worst. And so here we are, once again, taking a look at a legitimate argument yeah. on the surface. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to get to the foundation of what, where, this found, where does this argument rest? Right. How sturdy is it? And if it's not sturdy, is there a better alternative? to what Gully is proposing here as we look at this issue of the work of reconciliation Mm -hmm. and whether or not it needs to be of more value Mm -hmm. than actually trying to make these judgmental claims about people's behavior. Right. And the the difference is understanding 
um, Gully's definition of of reconciliation and of judgment, and and, and trying and trying to get our minds around that he's he's I think he's trying to talk about judgmentalism because yeah. no one is free of making judgments. We all have to make judgments every day. Some are innocuous types of judgments about you know how long do you warm up that thing in the microwave, whatever that hot pocket or whatever versus what a person does or what he or she says. There's different, obvious variables involved in these I'm decisions. judging you right now for talking about Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets. <laughs> I don't eat them, but I know of them. And, and, and so the title of the chapter is, in Gully's book, If the Church Were Christian. Again, I just that title is meant to get people's attention, obviously, um, because it's, it's from, from a, a sort of skeptical, cynical uh, perspective. If the church were Christian, reconciliation would be valued over judgment. And Gullet goes in the beginning of the chapter talking about how growing up as a Roman Catholic, his understanding of God was an angry, uh, sort of petulant, bothered deity who just wanted you to be sorry for all the bad things you've done. And I think he, he speak, would speak for a lot of people. Oh, sure. And yeah. not just Roman Catholics, no, but absolutely. a lot of people who grew up with this idea that God is, is like one moment away from hitting the red button yeah right yeah. and just sort of yep. letting destruction rain down on all of us yeah he he would visit his priest every week with his family and confess his sins and as an eight-year-old his sins were i fought with my brothers you know and i kicked the neighbor's dog kind of stuff so he would go through that routine every week for years until his teenage mm-hmm. years he would do this and he noticed the priest never never encouraged him to improve his relationships with his brothers or to stop kicking the neighbor's dog or, or whatever it may be. Um, it was just a, it was a routine. And so he began to see God as this sort of petulant, angry, thin-skinned man up in the sky who was just waiting to to smite him one day. Because get, he off, was such a, get off my lawn, he yeah, yeah, he was a grumpy uncle who just, there's nothing right with the world. Now, if that's where you begin with your concept of God, then you're starting off in a really bad place. And so what Gully shifts to then is the church adopted this idea that uh, worship and relationship with Jesus is all about fearing judgment and getting out of the way of God's judgment for all of your evil when we should be focusing on reconciling with our neighbors and friends and having healthy relationships. Uh, I will say this. Gully doesn't always come across very consistent, but he is consistent in this one point Mm -hmm. when when he begins sort of putting an emphasis on what he sees as the church's, church's overemphasis yes. on uh, sin and things like that. Yes, absolutely. So he, he does bring that out in previous mm-hmm. commandments that this is, as he sees it, is a problem. Mm-hmm. And he carries that over very consistently to he this. Does. He does. And so it makes a lot of sense where he's coming from mm-hmm. when he gets to this. Mm-hmm. And Kruger mentions in the book, in the very first sentence, he talks about how progressive Christianity seems to overemphasize or emphasize more more often, more consistently human relationships over a relationship with God. And Gully seems to to emphasize that as well. We put so much emphasis on our vertical relationship with God that we don't pay attention to our horizontal mm-hmm. relationships. And you know what? He's right in, in some cases. The church is about me coming to do my business with God and my connection to you or to my neighbor or my fellow church members is less important. And, and so we tend to treat one another in judgmental ways. That is certainly true. Yeah, I think this is largely a Western problem mm-hmm. because we are so individualistic. Mm-hmm. And so we put a lot of emphasis on my relationship with God. Yes. When you get into cultures and worldviews that are built more around the community, it's hard to really make this argument stick mm-hmm. because no one's going to buy it. Right. Because they are, they're so concerned about their relationship with others and so I think what Gully is doing here is he's talking about, at best, an argument that can only be made for the Western church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He, yeah. he can't apply this argument universally to the church, which he seems to be trying to do. And so it really kind of points to Gully's lack of understanding on how cultures and worldviews mm-hmm. are different mm-hmm. as you go around the globe. If you're going to make statements like, if the church wasn't this or is that, mm-hmm. well, then you really ought to be able to apply that wherever. To the church. To the church. Yes, so yeah, if, if yeah. we find the church in some remote village in, say, the Philippines, this argument ought to apply. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look at it honestly, and we were to actually sit here and interview Christians from different 
cultural traditions, they would go, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. We, we very much value our relationship with others. Mm-hmm. But we as Americans, we just have to admit that we're very individualistic, we we're very selfish. Mm-hmm. And so the argument that that is a reality does have teeth in our conscience. It does, very much so. And he talks about how hard reconciliation is. He said it seems that reconciliation with God is easier because we can't see him. But we see our parents and our children, our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. And reconciliation is much more difficult. He says it requires vulnerability, honesty, and humility. Yes, it does. These virtues should be commonplace in the church, but are often lacking. I agree. Indeed, the 12-step groups that meet in church basements, talking about AA, AA things like that, no. take reconciliation more seriously than many in the church, which is probably true. That is very true. Yeah. Those, those 12-step programs, that's a hallmark. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It says they speak the language of grace more fluently than those who claim it as a first language. Well, that's a very well-written sentence right there. Like He's, tr- he's being very correct. Yeah. The problem I have... And I think most most Christians who read the Bible would have is that he seems to de-emphasize our reconciliation as persons with God himself, because we do have a problem. There is brokenness mm-hmm. all over our lives. And so understanding how it is that we can come to a reconciling relationship with a brother or sister has to begin with our reconciliation with God. And so I think that's that's the part, the piece that's missing here. He seems to downplay that in order to to sort of really emphasize human relationships. But my mm. question would be, why should I care about human relationships at all? Why in the world should I care about being reconciled to anybody? Why can't I live me first? And if you don't like it, get out of my way. I will step on whoever I have to. And I don't care if you don't like me. I'm going to be number one. Why should I care about reconciling with my wife or my children or my my friends or my neighbors? Why should I care at all? Well, and that whole sentiment gets wrapped up in the the popular statement that you see so often now on T-shirts mm-hmm. and on in memes. You can't judge me. Mm-hmm. This this idea that I I don't need reconciliation, nor do I need approval yep. from someone else. Mm-hmm. I can just do me and yep. live my life, and it's I, I'm somehow at least morally isolated from mm-hmm. everybody else, mm-hmm. if even that. And so therefore, any statement that I need to be remotely interested mm-hmm. or even care yeah. about your behavior and then you mine is kind of viewed as ridiculous and completely antithetical to the idea that I must be able to live for myself yeah. and no one else. Right. Whatever problem you have with me is your problem. It's your mine. problem. It's right. not mine. Nothing wrong with me. Now, this is not a pervasive mindset in, in all contexts, mm-hmm. but it tends to be sort of this, this cloud that kind of hangs over all of us. People in the church, people that are not in the church, we tend to approach life this way because we're defensive, we're protective. Um, we, we Nobody likes being judged. Not, not, not at all. And so I agree with Gully's uh, premise that the church can be overjudgmental. I agree with that. But we do have to deal with the fact that something's really wrong with us. Why are we judgmental? Why are we territorial? Why do we prefer to put others down to, to raise ourselves up? Why do we even mm-hmm. do that naturally? Well, it's because we have a, a heart of sin that, that that's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. And it takes the reconciling work of Christ on our behalf to begin to tear down those things down. Now, Gully makes the point in his book that even Christians who have experienced that grace of mm-hmm. God end up becoming Pharisees themselves, which often happens. Yes, we become very prideful in what we believe about Jesus, and then we cast others aside or step on them because they don't believe the same way we do. And I agree with him. We need to do a better job of being gracious and merciful toward those who are weak, those who do not believe the same way we do. But that does not mean that we we disregard what brought us to Christ to begin with. Mm-hmm. We have to deal with both of these things equally. Um, and and the, the point you make, you, you make here in the notes, Dave, is Gully's issue is not that the Bible is silent on the subject of reconciliation, but that the church goes about it all wrong. And that's where we come in. Like, we have to read what he says and go, okay, his is an overreaction, but there's some things he's saying in here that maybe we can take and put into practice with the gospel itself at the foundation of all our motivation to seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, he's not off right. when he, he talks about the church going about it all wrong. 
except that he takes it to the extreme yeah. and he's making a very inclusive statement. Mm-hmm. There are definitely instances where some in the church, big, big C church, have gone about this wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to get into all of this. We've talked about it prior to this, but it's this whole issue of law and grace. Mm-hmm. And so if you overemphasize law yeah. in within your church, if you're given a legalistic set of rules, if you're taught moralism, then the outflow of that is legalism. It's, mm-hmm. it's law. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is no real grace in there. And so people like that tend to look at the world through a, a moralistic lens. Mm-hmm. And while it may be correct that there is a right and a wrong, they can't see any room for grace. Right. And so that's why you have people that they, you think of, um, oh, what's what's the church has been out of the news for a while, thank goodness. Uh, but it's the the quote-unquote Baptist church that protests everybody. Oh, Murphy's, yeah, yeah. Murfreesboro? No, no, it's over in Kansas somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, they made a name for themselves by judging everyone mm-hmm. harshly. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to certain public events and you will find people that call themselves Christians, uh, maybe very faithful members of a church somewhere, and they are you know, protesting or at least being very public in their demonstration mm-hmm. about what they consider wrong behavior yes. in that certain circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so there have been some really ugly things done by the church mm-hmm. in the name of God yeah. that I think Gully would look at and go, see, that's my point. Yeah, That's my point yeah. exactly. Right. But to see those examples and then sort of universalize that across all Christians and all churches is just simply wrong. You, yeah, you and can't it's do that. It's completely not fair. Um, so does the church have a problem? Of course it does, because the church is full of sinners, and sinners right. like to judge. Whether you're in Christ or not, you're going to cast judgments upon other people. So my, my question, and we talked about this before we started today, but what I find hard in, in reading Gully's book is that he doesn't really define, he loosely defines what he's talking about when he speaks of reconciliation. Like, what are you really talking about? Like what, how am I to be reconciled to someone that I've had a relationship with and that's broken versus how do I reconcile to the stranger on the street who's mm-hmm. poor and needs something? Because it seems like he's saying, we got to, we got to reconcile with all of these people. Okay. okay well, those are totally different contexts. The, the beggar who I've never met before in my life who needs $2 for, for something versus my wife. Well, those are different relationships. Right. And how I approach reconciliation with my wife is very, very different from a stranger I've never met before. Do I need to reconcile with him at all to begin with? Is there anything wrong between us? Or is it that our circumstances are so diversely different mm-hmm. that that um, it appears as though I owe him something? Or maybe he owes me something. I, I don't know. Yeah, the only way that really works when you have these, these varying contexts in which reconciliation is going to take place mm-hmm. is if you have some sort of firm standard built on absolutes yes, that absolutely. can apply to all of it. Mm-hmm. If you have to redefine reconciliation within each context, then you're now just playing with words. Mm -hmm. You're you're not talking about reconciliation anymore. You're using the word, but at every turn when you redefine it, Mm -hmm. well, now it's it comes from a different base, Mm -hmm. and therefore has different implications. Mm And I don't know if that's what Gully is trying to do. Again, because he's so fuzzy. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, like I said before, he's almost passively trying to give a definition. Yes. Maybe his intent is to not nail down a definition so that it can remain kind of fuzzy and, mm-hmm. fuzzy and ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to help us apply that in the real world right, right. with what he's advocating. Right. He uses several examples. And one of the ones that was troubling to me was um, when he was a pastor, he received a phone call from a woman who was seeking, um, after 10 years of marriage, she and her husband were getting divorced. And she asked him if he would um, would conduct a ceremony to dissolve their marriage. And at first he wasn't comfortable with it, but then he didn't get to think about it. And he said, well, these are two people, they're hurting, um, they're, they're seeking to divorce. Maybe we should sort of bring healing to the, their friendship at the very least. By, by sort of officiating this divorce ceremony, which sounds completely lu- lu- ludicrous to me, but this is what he was seriously considering. Mm-hmm. He went to uh, a, another, another woman in his, in his church who was clergy. She was a pastor of some, some church, um, and, and uh, Gully's part of a, a Quaker 
faith or Quaker tradition. Um, and he felt like that the church officiating this divorce would would uh, sort of bring some healing and some reconciliation to it. And I, I, I find that difficult because the Bible forbids divorce outside of very, very limited circumstances. And so for the church to participate in a, a divorce ceremony to bring reconciliation between a husband and a wife who no longer get along to sort of condone or go along with their choice seems difficult. They were getting divorced because they couldn't have children or they did, they couldn't agree on whether to have children. Mm-hmm. One did and one didn't. That was not discussed apparently before they got married. After 10 years, they had enough. Well, I don't believe it's the church's place in order to bring reconciliation to that relationship, to participate in the actual sin of divorce. We can certainly be part of the healing of their lives and hopefully maybe by good godly counsel, bring them back together in a healthy marriage. But to participate in a divorce ceremony just seems to be um, ungospel to me. It, it, it rejects the scriptures for the sake of a human relationship. And that's just backwards in my, in my, in my, in my this, thinking. This is an, ex- an excellent example of exactly what Cully is getting at. Mm-hmm. He's driving at the reconciliation over judgment. Yes. So therefore, if the Bible condemns divorce, mm-hmm. Jesus himself condemns yes. divorce, What's more important than that condemnation of divorce is seeing these two people who have a broken relationship somehow reconciled into a new, better relationship sure. a friendship. than a friendship yeah. Yeah, yeah. Than, than what they were uh, within the covenant of marriage. Uh, that is, that's exactly what he's driving home mm-hmm. is that example mm-hmm. that he lived out in his own, mm-hmm. in his own ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, I conclude that any effort the church could make to ease the pain of an in, of an inevitable divorce would be worthwhile. How? You're not. It, it's not reconciliation because this is a husband and a wife. Mm-hmm. You're not reconciling them as husband and wife. You're reconciling them now as two separate individuals. But that's not what the relationship is prior to this right. ceremony. And so it it just seems to be so uh, counterintuitive to the, what the gospel teaches us about pressing on and seeking reconciliation beyond those differences that you may have. And so we cannot. Um, value reconciliation with humans over what the scriptures clearly teach about our reconciliation with God. And so right. just to give an example, to, 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 to quote a scripture um, and from Matthew 5, we've, we've heard this passage before about, um, about bringing your sacrifice mm-hmm. and um, laying it down and going to make a relationship right with your brother. Right. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, so there's been a transgression against someone, mm-hmm. a person, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, this, this would appear to be that your first priority is to be reconciled to your brother. But the reality is that our relationship with God is hindered if we remain unreconciled with our brother. But that doesn't mean that our relationship with other people is more important than our relationship with God. Our worship mm. is affected if we don't reconcile with other people, which tells me that the relationship with God is actually more important because he's not allowed to worship here. He, put your put your sacrifice down, go reconcile, then come back because this is more important. This right. is necessary for your spiritual well-being. So we have to get those in the right order. And when we do... I think the, 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 the response because of what God has done in, in our lives to transform our hearts then leads us to seek the right kind of reconciliation with other people. It's gracious and loving and kind and merciful. Is it difficult? Always. Mm-hmm. But it's the right way to approach it because we're, we're operating, as you said before, from an agreed upon standard of holiness that the Bible clearly lays out for us. And we're not making up as we go, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, we want to make sure we're very clear in this discussion that... While Gully may be a bit fuzzy on what does it mean when he uses the term reconciliation, Mm -hmm. the Bible gives us very concrete parameters for what that means. Mm -hmm. So we just keep going back to it, which is extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wonder what does reconciliation mean in this context. I may have to think through how do I apply it, Mm -hmm. but I don't ever have to wonder what does it mean because the Bible helps me know not wonder but know what reconciliation means exactly yes and 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 so we have to take this 
for 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 what it is. Okay, the Bible's clear. The Word of God is clear. We've been reconciled to God by Christ. That's Romans five. Like right. it's clear because we've been reconciled to God by the death of Christ, by the blood of Christ, which was judgment. God judged His Son at the cross, who was crucified in the place of sinners, so that we could be reconciled to God, as First Peter says, brought to God, to be in a relationship with God, right? Right. And so because we have the blood of Jesus covering our sins for our sake, the door is now wide open for us to commune with God in a living, active relationship, mm-hmm. okay? When it comes to people, we still need that same blood of Christ to remind us of who we are in Christ right. so that we can seek the same kind of relationship. I take the words that when, when, when Jesus says to love others as he has loved us, that's those are hard words. Love one another as I have loved you. How in the world can I love you, Dave, or love my family or my church members the same way that Jesus loves me? Like that's that's tough. But just because it's hard doesn't mean I don't right. do it. Reconciliation is a big deal. But that does not mean that I can't talk to a couple, for instance, who is seeking a divorce because they can't agree on children and say, you know what, guys, it's okay. Don't worry about the sin you're living in. This stuff happens. It just happens. I want to bring healing to this relationship. Yeah. That's not right. We can't allow people to overlook their sin. It would be no different than if I were to overlook my sin in my, in my own heart for the sake of preserving a relationship. I have to consider why that relationship is broken to begin with. And maybe it's my sin. i got to deal with that. Well, how do I deal with my sin? I have to go to Christ. And, and, and so making judgments is part of the Christian life. We have to look at what's wrong and go, that's wrong. Let's fix it. What, what needs to change? Right. And if we stop doing that and seek only to be at peace with everyone and never consider what's wrong and why we don't have peace, we're going to miss the point altogether. And, and so re- reconciliation has to happen in the way that God's lined it out for us in the scriptures, which means we start with Jesus and our, our love for him, and his great love for us. And then we, we work outwardly with prayer, study of the word, walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ to bring reconciliation to all of our relationships. We're not going to fix all the human race by ourselves. Right. But Jesus commands us in Matthew 5 to be peacemakers. So wherever you go, whoever you're interacting with, you seek peace with that person and you serve them. But you don't step away from or ignore the reality that sin is present in your own heart and in the hearts and lives of other people. Yeah, and one of the things that I think Gully would do, and a lot of people would do, is we talk about this concept of reconciliation from a biblical perspective, and that we have to point out wrong behavior when it's there. Is well, who are we to call out wrong behavior? Mm-hmm. You know, who are we to pass judgment? Right. Why do we as Christians want to insist so much, according to you know Gully? that this is sort of an insistence on our part. Mm-hmm. We just sort of just crave and mm-hmm. love being judgmental, although I would argue that that's not necessarily the case. Right. But why do we want to point out wrong behavior? Mm-hmm. It's not because somewhere along the history of the church, somebody sat down and said, you know what would be a good activity for the church to do, <laughs> right? We've been, or- we've been rescuing yeah. uh, orphans. We've been caring for widows. How about we just start nitpicking everyone's mm-hmm. behavior? Let's get a committee together. Right. And we kind of laugh and joke about that, but we have to give a response to, well, by what basis? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible is our basis because the Bible is absolutely brimming with times when God himself mm-hmm. or God's people saw wrong behavior, called it what it was, and condemned it. Mm-hmm. So... We go to our source of authority on this Mm -hmm. to know that, yes, we do need to call out wrong behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you want to call it judging, fine. Mm -hmm. The Bible is comfortable with that terminology as well. Absolutely. But it's not, biblical judgment is not done in a, with a mean spirit. Right. It's done out of love and compassion Mm -hmm. for the sake of reconciliation. Now, when people in the church do judge others Mm -hmm. simply for the sake of pointing out wrong behavior, that's not loving at all. You've you've fallen short of what biblical judgment is all about. Mm -hmm. Reconciliation is the goal here. Mm -hmm. So you can't just sit back 
and just sort of, you know, you kind of yell through the proverbial megaphone Mm -hmm. about all the ills of the world if you're not going to provide people who are suffering from those ills with a cure. And so scream scream about homosexuality all you want to. Mm -hmm. If you can't love the homosexual enough to want them to be reconciled to Christ, Mm -hmm. then you care more about what that person does in their bedroom than that person's eternal soul. That's right. And that is not biblical at all. Not at all. And if Gully were to criticize Christians for that, he would be absolutely correct. I agree. And so we don't want to play fast and loose with this idea of judgment as Christians. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that people understand we are coming from a standard within Scripture that is consistent Mm -hmm. throughout all of what God does, what God's people do. Wrong behavior is identified. It's called wrong behavior, and it is condemned. Mm -hmm. So we are justified in doing so as the church. Mm -hmm. We just should not do it without reconciliation in clear view. Exactly, exactly. Churches, he's, he's, Gully writes, churches that value reconciliation over judgment and acceptance over condemnation get that way by choosing wisely at key moments, never losing sight of their purpose, to bring wholeness to broken lives, immersing each person and situation in God's grace. Yes, but what is the source of that grace? Mm-hmm. What is the source of the wholeness to a broken life? How do we get a person from brokenness to healing? From hurt to wholeness. How do we do that? What's the answer? What's the gospel? It's Jesus Christ. This goes back a little bit to what we talked about last week about the problem the church focuses too much on um, on people's brokenness and not enough on their potential, right? So if someone comes to me and is hurting and has a broken relationship, what do I tell them that's going to help their situation? How do I tell them? How do I teach them how to heal that relationship? If if my desire for them is to be reconciled. What do I tell them in order for them to be reconciled? Do I say try harder, get a good night's sleep, and eat some good food tomorrow, and just try again to love your neighbor? Why in the world should I give them any advice whatsoever unless there's a, there's a fundamental reason why they should seek re- reconciliation? If mm-hmm. I was approaching this from a worldly perspective, I would say, man, don't worry about that person. Just forget about them. They don't like you. They don't agree with you. They're toxic in your life. Cancel them. Cancel them and move on with your life. But that's not what Christ commands us. He commands us to seek to be reconciled with our neighbors and friends. So that's the basis. So if Jesus is the one that commands us to be reconciled, then he's the one that lays out the way in which we do that. And and so to disregard the need for the gospel, particularly if there's a broken relationship, there's probably sin involved somewhere. We have to deal with both of these things at the same time. Um, and now I, I will say this: there's a there's a brilliant sentence here that he, that he writes that I think is well, I might quote him actually uh, one day in a sermon. I have known Christians whose vocabulary for judgment was rich and full, but their dialect for reconciliation and forgiveness limited. Mm. That's a beautiful sentence, and I agree with that. Yeah, we are really good at full, rich judgment language, but our dialect to be reconciled and to forgive is very limited. That needs to change. Obviously, it needs to change. Only the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit through the ministry of the Word is going to change that in our hearts. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to really just sort of put our finger on as one reason why it may be difficult for some in the church to get kind of on board with the reconciliation language Mm -hmm. is because they've seen far too little of reconciliation within the church. Uh, you know, churches, the majority of them, vast majority of them, do not practice church discipline mm-hmm. because why? We don't want to come across as judgmental. Yep. And so we'd rather let people walk around within the community of faith with sins that are perceived to be secret. Mm-hmm. We know they're not because we obviously recognize them, but we're just sort of going to sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Rather than having that brother and sister in Christ reconciled, oh, but what if what if it means that we have to put them out of the church? Well, then we have to put them out of the church. Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose of this process is, A, reconciliation. Mm-hmm. If they refuse reconciliation, then we have a course of action yeah. that we are commanded to take. Matthew 18, yeah. And that is to put them outside of the community of faith that is reserved for believers who are 
within this ongoing process of being reconciled to one another. And so if someone comes along and disrupts that, then what they're saying is that I can live however I want to live. Reconciliation between God and I and I and my fellow Christians is irrelevant. None of your business. None of your business. And so I think one of the things that we need to see more of in the church are acts of reconciliation, not just within the concept of church discipline, but the fact that we are impacting Mm -hmm. people who need to be reconciled. If of all the people that are interacting with us as a church, I'm speaking generally here, if they all look like us and act like us and believe like us, they've all at some point uh, in their faith journey come to faith in Christ. And so they're just looking for a new church to belong to. Mm -hmm. Well, then they're not coming to the church because they're in desperate need of the gospel to, to be reconciled to God. And so we don't see the gospel reconciling people on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. We need to be interacting with lost people mm-hmm. who desperately need to be reconciled, who have bad behavior mm-hmm. that, that we clearly identify sure. from Scripture mm-hmm. is wrong, is sinful, uh, who present us with very messy relationships mm-hmm. because it's going to be messy to interact with them. Yep. And then we see the gospel completely transform them as they reach that moment of reconciliation mm-hmm. with God by faith in Christ. And we get to see that display. We yeah. knew how they were. We knew how they acted. We knew how they talked. We knew how we had a glimpse maybe of how they were at home. Yeah. Uh, we maybe knew a little bit of how they were at work. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of do a lot of the, the dirty laundry mm-hmm. in their lives. And then to see that person reconciled to God by faith in Christ and begin this journey of a new creature. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. And so when we get face-to-face with reconciliation like this, then that becomes something that we desire for our community of faith. We don't want to just float through life without any reconciliation taking part taking right, part. Right. And when we see it in someone else's life, then we go think, man, if this person can be reconciled to God through Christ from this, why in the world am I holding this yeah. against my brother that sits mm-hmm. uh, you know, down the pew from me? And so reconciliation is a vital important uh, mm-hmm. aspect of our Christian culture. And if we want to balance our judgment language mm-hmm. with that of reconciliation, then I think we need to expose ourselves more to reconciliation. Absolutely. We have to seek it. It has to be something yeah. that with that is on our radar and we don't just wait for it to happen, but we actually seek it. And if it's not a personal um, relationship that's been broken, we can help others seek reconciliation in their lives. Mm-hmm. We have to pursue it yeah. because I agree with Gully. It should be a value in the church. It's something that, it's something that we want to do. Okay, so how do we do that? So let's just, let me, I was thinking through a couple of things here. Yeah. About how, do, how do we seek this the right way? First, start with Jesus and his gospel. Okay, well, you have to start with what's wrong with you and that your relationship with God needed to be reconciled. It was broken, completely right. shattered in pieces, and you could not put them back together again in any way, shape, or form that would, that would resemble an actual relationship. Jesus had to come and put those pieces back together. Right. And to bring you to God. Reconciliation requires wrong behavior. Yes. So if you're going to remove wrong behavior from right. the picture, you can never have real reconciliation. Exactly. So if Christ died on the cross to, re- to reconcile you to God, it wasn't God's problem. It was yours. You transgressed against God. Therefore, Christ comes to bridge that gap and be the forgiveness you needed. The mm-hmm. second thing you must do is when you're seeking to reconcile with others, examine your own heart. Right? Examine your own heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, to see if you were in the faith. That famous verse, you know, that everybody loves to quote is Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, unless you be judged. We love to quote that verse. Everybody mm-hmm. in the world loves to quote that verse, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Jesus is not forbidding any kind of judgment there. He's saying, don't be the hypocrite who judges others for the same sin you're guilty of. Don't right. be pointing out someone else's sin when you're guilty of the exact same thing. Right. Like, thieves don't condemn other thieves, right? Yeah. That's why thieves stick close together because they're all guilty. Well, I think a lot of people, if they take a look and they sort of catalog the things that they like to point out in others, 
mm-hmm. they're really honest, yeah. those things are probably present in their own lives, mm-hmm. and they hate them. Yeah. They hate themselves for doing them, mm-hmm. for for not giving those over to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so when they see it in the lives of others, they become overly harsh mm-hmm. and judgmental towards them. It's not for everything. Right. But I think that is a factor mm-hmm. that we, we need to very much be aware of. Yeah, or, or it's something that they've never struggled with. Like, for instance, yeah. if, if, if I'm walking with a friend who's a recovering alcoholic and right. I walk into a bar, I am in no way tempted in any way, shape, or form to, to you know, indulge. But an alcoholic might. So why would I walk into the bar with him? And then if I see him snuggle up to the bar and begin drinking and then stick my finger in his face and go, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't understand his struggle, first of all. And second of all, I probably should have said something before we walked in, right? right. So I can condemn him for his behavior, but what am I guilty of? Am I guilty of, of neglecting him, of not caring about his needs and saying, you know what, I probably shouldn't go in here with him. Let's go somewhere else, maybe a coffee shop instead. You know, that's a simple example, but we have to examine our own hearts or we're not going to be the kind of reconcilers that we're supposed to be. Right. The third thing, and, and this is one thing that bothers me greatly about Goldie's chapter, is that he never mentions a prayer once. you got to pray for this. Pray for the power to seek reconciliation, and then to take advantage of those opportunities when they come your way, because you will get them. If you ask God, God, help me be a yeah, peacemaker. He's, he's going he's gonna to yes. set it up for you. Whether it's between you and your spouse, or you and maybe your children, or a neighbor, or a friend, or church members, God's going to give you an opportunity to be a reconciler in your own mm-hmm. life or in someone else's. We should pray for those opportunities. We should ask God, help, help us to do this. And if we do, God's going to give us those opportunities. So we started with Christ. We've examined our own hearts. We've asked for the opportunities. Then in those moments, we should seek to be actively gracious and kind, not to be judgmental. If there's a broken relationship, it's likely that one or two or whoever all is involved mm-hmm. in the relationship knows something's wrong. So we may need to point out what's wrong, but to do it in a gracious, merciful way to bring healing to that relationship. Ignoring the problem is not an answer. It's only part of the solution, but we have to identify it and examine why it's happening. You know, And, 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 and so... If we take these simple steps, we can actually be peacemakers and reconcilers in the right. way that I think Gully is kind of striving to 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 kind of grab onto, but without but he's trying to do it without any real um, any real traction with the gospel. We have the gospel, so let's let's stand on that. That's a good firm footing and foundation, and then build on that a life of reconciling with our neighbors. Um, I, I, I think, and, we, and we've talked a little bit about this briefly before, but I think sometimes we want to define reconciliation as accepting people however they are. Well, yeah, that's maybe the first step, but God doesn't leave us where we are when he finds right. us. He saves us and it makes us better. He yeah. makes us holy. And he doesn't leave us in our sin going, I love you just the way you are. You don't ever have to change. No, he conforms us into the image of his holy son to the point at which one day we die and then we'll be resurrected with Christ in perfection. That's what God's doing in our lives. Mm-hmm. Where our role in, reconcil- in being reconcilers and reconciling in our own lives as Christians is to go from, from that step to the next step. Just a, a, one more step toward maturity and growth in Christ. Um, and so being judgmental and only ever being judgmental doesn't grow anybody. But only being a reconciler without identifying real sin problems doesn't help anybody either. We have to be able to do both of these things in a, in a gracious, merciful way. That's the only way forward. Um, the, the reason G- Jesus chastised the Pharisees, for instance, wasn't to make them feel bad. He wanted them to repent, mm-hmm. right? He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He wanted Peter to repent. Um, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. And Nicodemus didn't quite understand what he was talking about. Jesus didn't mince his words. You have to be spiritually reborn in order to be reconciled to God and then be a reconciler with others. Right. Um, and I think that's the that's the way we proceed forward. So um, compared to the previous two chapters in Gully's book, this one was the, was certainly the one I agreed with most in some of the things that he said. It makes a lot of good points. I just don't agree with his approach to it yeah. because it leaves the scriptures and the gospel out completely and simply makes reconciliation a command of Christ but doesn't ever reference what, what that command is and why we should even care right. about it. And so I, I think as, as Christians, this is something that we need to do more of actively and not passively much sit, so. sit by and pretend like people are just going to figure it out on, yeah. their own, on their own. Yeah, I mean, we live in a very broken society. I mean, look, just, just turn on your news. Yeah. I mean, right now, the climate in America, in our culture, is so divided, so toxic, and... If anyone is is wondering whether or not 
we are still living with the effects of the fall. Mm-hmm. Well, wonder no more. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you're scratching your head going, I, you know, is our society decaying still? <laughs> yes, it is. Why? Because we are, we're reaping all the fruit mm-hmm. of our efforts to live for ourselves yeah. and to reject God and live in rebellion against him. And so it's led to some very logical conclusions in people's lives mm-hmm. that they feel so alone and broken mm-hmm. that this, this horizontal relationship mm-hmm. is a mess yeah. for most people. It's an absolute mess. They don't have good relationships with parents. Mm-hmm. They do not have good relationships with spouses if they have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do not have good relationships with coworkers mm-hmm. and uh, neighbors and things like that. Uh, what does it mean to have good, true friends mm-hmm. uh, has been largely lost or redefined. Mm-hmm. People need reconciliation now more than they ever do mm-hmm. just just on a strictly relationship level mm-hmm. with yeah. each other. Yeah. We take all the spirituality out of it. Mm-hmm. Where people are right now is in a really bad spot. Yeah. People do put on a happy face, you know, much like, you know, your um, traffic comments earlier. (laughs) But honestly, they're not doing as well as they say they're doing when it comes right down to it. And then when you add the spiritual component in, we realize just how deep Mm -hmm. the need for reconciliation goes. Mm -hmm. And so for us as the church to sort of just sit back and go, huh, Mm -hmm. Isn't it all terrible? <laughs> well, what's what's the world going to go to? Yeah. That's that's those are the wrong questions. Yep. The questions are well, how do we get this gospel of reconciliation out to these broken people? Yeah. Yeah. Who in my immediate spheres of influence do I need to go deeper with mm-hmm. to see where their need lies? Mm-hmm. That's going to provide that open door for the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know the ways that we used to do evangelism don't really work as well as it used to. Sure. In some cases, God still faithfully works through mm-hmm. some of those old methods, but now you have to go so much deeper, mm-hmm. and it's it's deeper where you begin to discover, to discover these yeah. really messed up values and emotions mm-hmm. and the, the how the trajectory of someone's life is so skewed and downward focused mm-hmm. that, you realize what a rescue the gospel is. Yes. It's it's not just well align yourselves with our tribe. Mm-hmm. We've got all we got all kind of good stuff. Yep. yep. It's a life preserver. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't know anybody that you could think of that is that uh, desperate for rescue, mm-hmm. then you're not going deep enough yeah. with the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Look, let's let's have great relationships within the church with mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's mm-hmm. be, let's make them even better. Yeah, absolutely. But let's also not neglect the fact that we do see a very broken world, mm-hmm. and that broken world is not there for us to gawk at, mm-hmm. slack jawed, or wagging our heads. Right. It's there for us to to rush in and try to yeah. throw out that lifeline. So that people can be reconciled because, my goodness, their <laughs> existence is bleak. Yeah, so, you know, and it's of all the people in the world who should be least surprised at the brokenness of the world should be Christians. Because our Bible tells us that it right. is. From the very beginning, it's been corrupted by sin. And so we should not be shocked at all of the, the devastation we see around yeah. us. The, the good news is, for us, we have an answer. We have the good news. Yeah. There's a real solution to this, whereas the world that does not know Christ doesn't have an answer. They just keep trying the same things, the self-help aisle at the bookstore right. or the next Internet site or another drug or another drink or another relationship, mm-hmm. and none of it's working. Right. And so they are all unreconciled people looking for some kind of real peace in their lives. Yeah. We as Christians have that. It's in, in spades, in abundance, in overabundance. We come together and we celebrate it every Sunday. Well, we come together most, most Sundays and celebrate it. Right now, it's been a little tough. But we have the answer. Why would we not share that with people around us that are, are broken? And even from a personal perspective, some of the most powerful words are, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I mean, it's some of the most yeah. powerful words. I'm sorry, 
will you forgive me? Some of the most healing words are, yes, I forgive you. Like, it's what? Eight words. Right. Between two people. Forgiveness. We could we could do a whole episode on oh, just man. the concept of forgiveness, the way it's looked at in society, sure. the way the Bible portrays it. Because those are those are things that when we get into conversations with people, we talk talking about that. We are we are dealing with apples and oranges. Yes. The biblical concept of forgiveness is so much deeper and rich it's and built profound. On the, it's built on the grace of exactly. God. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, introducing people to that concept mm-hmm. as part of the reconciliation process. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like someone seeing the the Grand Canyon for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of awe-inspiring inspiring and takes your breath away mm-hmm. because you've you've never seen anything that beautiful. Right. You thought you've, you've seen it before. You thought you knew what that was. Mm-hmm. You, you saw a photograph of mm-hmm. it. You saw a documentary. Maybe you even saw one of the newer, you know, 4K drone shots. Yeah, yeah. I, but to, to be there, mm-hmm. to see it in real life, mm-hmm. it's a whole different deal. And mm-hmm. the same thing with forgiveness. If somebody actually forgives you the way Christ mm-hmm. forgives us, it blows free. your mind. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely blows your yeah, mind. Yeah, we we need to have that in our churches yeah. so that we can share that with the world. And so, uh, just to kind of tile this up, we looked a couple of weeks ago um, on a Sunday morning about what our purpose is as a church, and it's to be witnesses. Jesus says that in Acts one eight, "You yeah. will be my witnesses." Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, as witnesses, this is one of the things that we bear witness to: is that we've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we should be reconciled to our brothers mm-hmm. and sisters in Christ. And so Absolutely. this is part of our gospel message. It's not just, you know, re- repent and believe. It starts with that, certainly. Right. But the gospel is, is, is a full and rich and it's full of all these different wonderful facets that affect every part of our life. And so when you turn that prism or that diamond in a certain mm-hmm. a way, it, it catches the light of the sun and, and shows a different a different image, a different shimmer. Well, that's every, every time we show love and kindness and mercy and reconciliation, we're just turning that beautiful gospel diamond over to see another facet cut into it that makes it even more beautiful. And, and so um, we should be seeking this in our own lives personally and in the lives of others. And I think if we do this, um, it, it will be powerful in the lives of those who come, we, who we come in contact with. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. And we need to follow what his word commands, which is to be reconciled to one another and seek, and seek to be reconciled with others for the sake of his glory. that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes and give us a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you listen to Footnotable. You can keep up with Footnotable on social media through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at fbcbr.com. If you want to connect with Orrin and myself on social media, our individual information is listed in the show notes. Know that our prayers are with you. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again next week.